If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're so glad you're here. Marquise, wasn't you here last night? You was at work. But your mama and dad and your mama and your brother and your uncle were here last night. I knew I knew somebody connected with you were here last night. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I was going to say, man, you like the sermon that well? You came back for a second dose, but then I realized, no, no nobody come back for a second. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Everybody bring your Bible. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking to young Timothy. Would you mind if we move this down? I was up here last night, and I was up here this morning. I want to get down here. I want to get down here where I can just feel comfortable. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Um, Bubba and I have a funeral. Torino King's mother went home to be with the Lord 61 years old, Torino is one of our ushers, one of our wonderful men. His mother went home to be with the Lord uh, just this week, and uh, her funeral's at 2 today. Is that correct? And some of you ushers know him. Be sure to send him a note, maybe on social media. Tell him you're praying for him. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul is the apostle. He's talking to young Timothy. Young Timothy was Paul's protege, uh, Paul was Timothy's mentor in ministry, and Paul had a close relationship with Timothy. Paul is away now, and Timothy, they tell us, was one of the the main pastors at the church of Ephesus. And Paul is writing Timothy a letter and giving him some instruction. And this is what he says. I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, until you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church. Notice Paul calls the, the church the household of God. He says, I want to, I'll write these things so peop, you'll know how to tell people how to live, how to act, how to, how to be as the church. This is the church of the living God. Now notice this next phrase which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Notice the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says in any community, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation of truth. We thank God for MTSU, thank God for it, but MTSU is not the foundation of truth. We thank God for our city government and our county government. They're wonderful and great. They have their purpose. But I'm going to tell you something. Politics is not the foundation of truth. The foundation of the truth is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And when churches are starting to exit their communities, all of a sudden you have communities that are void of the foundation of truth. Last week I shared with you a lesson entitled, My Church, a Priority in My Life. My Church, a Priority in My Life. And I listed several statistics with you that I just want to repeat real quickly, and that's this. Today, according to Statistica 2019, only 20% of Americans attend a Christian church. Only 20% of Americans attend a Christian church. And we talk about how America is a Christian nation. Understand, if only 20% of Americans attend a Christian church, it's no longer a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation. 
We used to be, but we're not. Only 20% of Americans attend a Christian church. And here's the challenge. Of the 20% who attend, in 2018, only 22% attended weekly. So only 20% of Americans attend a Christian church. I think there's something like 380 million. Is there 380 million Americans in the United States of America? Something like that, between 380 and 400 million. 20%, 22%, so about 100,000, 100 million go to church. 100 million. And out of those 100 million who attend church in America, only 22% go weekly. So about 22 22 million out of uh, 400 million uh, go to church weekly. 22 million out of 400 million go to church weekly. And then another 10% of Christians go every other week or once every two weeks. And 11% of Christians attend monthly or once a month. And 53% of Christians only attend uh, seldom or never, which literally means at Christmas or Easter. So listen to what he's saying. He's saying of all the, 20, the 22% of Christians, or the 20% of Christians who attend church, 53% of them, over half of them, only go once or twice a year. And we wonder why America's moral fiber is starting to erode and to decay. We wonder why. And it's because people now are starting to forsake their spiritual foundation. The church is involved in a spiritual war on two fronts. Number one, it's always been involved in this war, and that is reaching a secular world of lost humanity of people who do not know Christ and have never experienced worship gatherings. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 28, 28, he said, uh, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. That's called the Great Commission. Since Jesus, since Jesus 2,000 years ago, the church has been given that mandate. That's one of the the wars we're fighting, reaching people who do not know Christ. That's why we have a group of people willing to give a week's vacation to go to Honduras, to reach people who do not know Christ. That's why we support this missionary couple who we're housing for a year uh, at Laos, in, that are in Laos. And uh, they, they go to the unreached people, people in Laos who have never heard the name of Jesus. Communism says church is against the law. You can't have a Bible. You can't gather in public assembly. So a whole generation of young people have been born, raised, and become adults and died and never heard the name of Jesus. And yet we have this missionary couple that's living their lives trying to reach the unreached people group of Laos. That young couple that was with us in January, the Claytons, they're taking their little infant baby, this young couple, and they're going to Mongolia, to the unreached people of Mongolia who've never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is fulfilling the Great Commission. The church, since Christ came to earth, has that mandate to go reach lost people. But the church in America has found itself in another war. And that war is this, keeping Christians connected who are being enticed by a secular world. Christians are falling out of church. They're just, they're leaving the church house. 
According to recent statistics, Christians are attending worship gatherings less and less. And though the reasons for sporadic worship attendance are often legitimate and understandable, the outcome remains the same, a life more influenced by the world than by God. Well, you know, I have to work on weekends. That's legitimate. Well, I'm involved. I have to care for my family who's sick, and I can't come on the weekends. That's legitimate. Well, I'm busy. You know, I've got a lot going on. We took a, I work six days a week, and that's my only day with my family. So I can't come to church. That's legitimate. See, a lot of these excuses, a lot of these reasons are legitimate. They're legitimate reasons. But the results is still the same. If you never worship with other believers of like precious faith, if you don't come to a house of God and worship together, what happens is your life will eventually be more influenced by the world than it will by God. Even though your reasons might be valuable and your reasons might be legitimate. The enticement to stay away from worship gatherings is a powerful pull in our culture. And this is the day, you know, there, there was a day, there was a day that there was nothing to do on Sunday but attend church. Does anybody remember that? That used to be, the general consensus of Americans was that Sunday was the Sabbath, a day of worship and rest. I think it's uh, quite ironic and remarkable the, ridic- the ridicule that many people display toward Chick-fil-A today for being closed on Sunday. But did you know there was a day that if you were open on Sunday, you'd be ridiculed? But things have changed, and there's no use fussing about it and how bad it is. That's just the way it is. So we've got to learn to deal with it. Today, we live in a culture that runs seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And the options to do things on weekends are limitless. They're limitless. Used to, there wasn't nothing to do on the Sunday but go to church. And you only had three channels on TV. Four channels, ABC, NBC, CBS, and White Noise. That's the four channels you had on TV. And and, and if you stayed up past night, uh uh, midnight, all four were white noise. Remember when they'd play the national anthem and sign off? Anybody remember that? See, now, now on weekends, everything's open. In fact, the only time that things shut down is on Sunday night. You know, the devil can't even get a crowd on Sunday nights. The bars close on Sunday night. The malls close on Sunday night. People talk all the time. Well, you're not having... You're not having church on Sunday night anymore. Well, it's not a spiritual thing. It's a cultural thing. Because the devil can't even get anybody to show up on Sunday night. That's a cultural thing. But there was a day that the, if you wanted to do anything on Sunday, you had to go to church. Now the options are limitless. You've got plenty of opportunities and plenty of options. So this brings us down to this focal point. We make time for the things we value most. We make time for the things we value most. The things we choose to do are things we value and are a priority in our life. Last week I shared with you some theological reasons on why you should want to go to church. And I preface all those remarks with this. 
I'm not fussing at you. I want to thank you for coming. The last thing preachers need to do is get up and fuss at people about not coming to church, and they spend their time fussing at the people who are in church. And they do it with such a mean. I'd sit there where you're sitting, and I'd hear, you're going to go to hell for not coming to church. You're going to spit hell out of it. And he, and he kind of shares it like, I hope you hurry up and get to hell, you know. He acts like he's mad. You've been, you've been at that restaurant, and you've been at that ballpark, and you're going to split hell, and the demons are going to get you, and you're going to those movie houses, and you ought to be in the house of God. I'm telling you, you ought to be in the house of God. And I'm sitting there thinking, why do I want to be in the house of God? The last thing I want to do is go to his house where he's preaching. Man, you got a you got a growl, you got a duck of ugly face, and your veins have got to pop out. If that's the result of it, I don't want it. So I say all that to say this to you: Thank you for being here. Thank you. I want you to know I would never fuss at you for not coming to church. I wouldn't fuss at you. First of all, fussing at people doesn't get them to do anything in America nowadays. What I'm doing by sharing this lessons is hopefully encouraging you and giving you some ammunition to motivate yourself to be here when you don't want to come. Because the, the temptation to stay away is a powerful pull. It is a powerful pull. So here's some things that Amanda and I use to keep ourselves motivated. You know, coming to church this morning, I was driving over here. I went to church last night. Bubba went to church last night. He was right here. And I was thinking this morning, boy, if I wasn't a preacher, I'd just keep on going down the road this morning. I'd stop by Hardy's and get me a steak and biscuit and say, Saranada to you Christians. You know, there's some Sundays I don't want to come, and I'm the preacher. So I have to keep myself motivated. So what is some of the things? Let me give you some theological reasons. I call these faith reasons or big picture reasons on why I should want to attend worship gatherings. Number one, worship attendance should be a priority in my life because the church of which we are part is the possession of God. It's God's church. It's not my church. I don't get to decide what to do and what not to do. It's His church. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus is talking to Peter. Jesus has said, who, do pe who, who are all these people saying that I am? Some of them said, well, you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Others said, you're Elijah, come back to lie, come back to earth. Some say, you're Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, uh, you're none of those. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said to him, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this revelation that I am the Son of the living God, I will build... What's those next two words? My Everybody say, my church. my church. Notice Jesus calls it his church. He didn't say, I'll build your church. He didn't even say, I'll build the church. He didn't say, I'll build a church. He said, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Literally, what Jesus is saying here, he declares that the church is his. He's the owner, the CEO, and the founder. The church is the personal possession of God. It's valuable to him. He claims it as his own possession. So when we neglect church or reject church, we are declaring that which God deems valuable is not valuable to me. It's his. And it's valuable to him. 
But if I neglect it or reject it, it's not that valuable to me. The second reason, faith reason, why I should be faithful in my worship gathering, worship attendance should be a priority in my life because Jesus paid the ultimate price to enable me to worship. He paid the price. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul's talking to pastors. He said, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church. Remember, it's His. It's His church. Purchase with His own blood. Jesus paid for the church with His own blood. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your family. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ. When we reject or neglect the church, we are saying His sacrificial death was in vain. Jesus paid with His life to give me the ability to gather with others and worship. And let's take it a step further. 240-something years ago, our forefathers laid down their life to create a nation that gives us the right to worship without fear of reprisal. And we're finding ourselves losing our religious liberties because we have become uh, complacent in proclaiming and standing for those. See, if you don't go to church, if you don't ever gather for worship, you have no right to join in and criticize the government for trying to limit other people from worshiping. If you don't participate yourself. That's complaining about things when we don't vote. We have no right if we don't exercise our rights. All right? Now, those are the two reasons, theological reasons. Let me give you some practical reasons. Let me, let me take uh, ten minutes to give you some practical reasons. How t- ammunition to resist the stay away temptation. Stay away from church. Here's what Amanda and I have discovered in our journey. Generations ago, the church was a social and missional hub. In addition to faith reasons, people loved going to church generations ago because it was one of only a handful of options available in a community other than personal devotions that you could connect with God. Remember, we didn't have internet. We didn't have Christian TV. We didn't have CBN or TBN or PTL or... Daystar or Moonstruck or Fallen Star or whatever all those. We didn't have all those preachers on TV. We didn't have online. We didn't have live streaming. We didn't have any of that. You might get a couple of programs on Sunday morning. But other than that, if you wanted to connect with God, you had to go to church. Generations ago, the church was the missional hub and the social hub. If you wanted to be around other Christians, you went to church. That's just what you did. We now live in a culture that's drowning in options. 24-7, we have access to anything Christian. In fact, it dawned on me this morning, we're hurting our own cause. We pay for everybody to have right now media. 
You can have the best preachers in the world, and we're paying for it. You can stay home and watch them instead of coming here and me. And I'm paying you to do it. It wasn't my idea. It was that staff I have. I've got a Judas in the bunch, and I tell you what. The truth of the matter is, we have Christian at our fingertips. Why do we need to go to church? Used to, if you did Christian, you had to go to church. Now we got it at our fingertips, so why in the world go to church? So let me give you the practical reasons that you need to be faithful. Number one, the main reason I gather with the church is because I am the church. You don't attend church, you are the church. Church is not something we attend. Church is something we are. It's something we do. Merely attending church doesn't make you much of a, of a church sitting on the back row consuming church doesn't make you very good at being the church. Just sitting and consuming doesn't make you the church any more than me sitting in my garage makes me an automobile. Being the church has something to do with living our life for Christ. Demonstrating God's love by serving others and sharing our faith with people. That's what being the church is about. So I don't attend church, I am the church. And I go to demonstrate my love, I go to share my faith, I go to live my life and to grow in my life with Christ. That's totally different than consuming church on a back row. Which we can do, we can consume church on our back deck. Just put it on your iPad. Put it on your iPhone. And what's scary is that we've turned into, Christians have turned into consumers instead of contributors. The reason we go to church today is that we are moving away from being a consumer to a contributor. We don't go just to be served, we go to serve. I can't tell you, every week, every week, I've been here, Amanda and I have been here 10 years. We've been preaching here for 10 years. We became the pastors. We started preaching here in August of 2009. And we officially became the pastors in uh, February of 2010. So we've been preaching here for 10, 10 years. And every week, every week, I've had a call, and now multiple calls, because more people are hearing about our church, or emails, or texts, or Facebook messenger messages. Does your church offer this? Does your church offer this? Does your church have this? And in other words, we are consumers, and we're wanting to see if your if you have the things that we like as preferences for our life. And you know what? what's happened is, churches have found themselves chasing consumers instead of being led by the Spirit of God. We're in a race. Well, World Outreach does this, so we've been doing that. The Experience does this, so we've been doing that. The New Vision does this, so maybe we need to do that. We, we're in a race to try to chase consumers. Several months ago, I had somebody come to first service, and I met them after first service, and I said, and they told me there's a visitor, and they said, but we won't be back. 
I said, well, okay, what did I do now? I said, no, no, you didn't. It's, it's too big. I said, too big. Yeah, this, it was packed. First service always has more. It was packed. I said, we grew up in a church of 50, and this is just too overwhelming. We, 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 we just feel, we feel out of place here. You can't know everybody. And I wanted to say, no, the truth is you can't know everything about everybody, you know. That, that's the truth. It's not that you can't know everybody. It's you can't know everything about everybody. And some nosy people want to know everything about everybody. And you can't do that here. We don't allow that here. It's none of your business, you know. So they said it was too big. That was first service. After second service, it was a crowd about like this. Not every church uh, seat, was seat was packed. And I met a new family. And they looked at me and said, is this all there is? I heard you had a big church. Isn't this big? We're used to a big church. And they never came back. So in the first service, it was too big. The second service, it wasn't big enough. About a month ago, I get a call from somebody. I got an email and said, I heard your church is really good. Let me ask you a question. Do you have tattoos? And then they went on to say, we can't go to a church where the preacher has tattoos. I'm so glad. I said, well, I'm glad you didn't ask my wife that. But I mean, <laughs> I did, I'm, so, I'm just aggravating you. I'm just aggravating you. I tell you, I want one. I want one of them sleeves that go all the way down, different color. If I ever get one, I'm, if I ever take the plunge, I'm going all the way in. I'm gonna get, I want to get me something like that guy right there's got. I, I think they're cool, man. You know, I was going to get that bob wire around my uh, my biceps, but he looked at my biceps and said, man, there's such guns, I might run out of ink. So I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't, what are y'all laughing about there? <laughs> and then a couple of weeks after that, I had an email, an email came in and said, we really like your preaching, but we're not coming because uh, uh, you got white hair. And we're younger and we need somebody that's more hip and understands where, where we're coming from. You know, and I wanted to say, I'm the hippest white-haired guy you'll ever meet in your life. The truth of the matter is, is when you have a consumer mentality, you're constantly setting, evaluate, how does this affect me? What does it do for me? How can it please me? God hadn't called us to be consumers. He's called us to be contributors. We're not here to be served. We're here to serve. Oh, I'm waiting for the day for somebody to come up and say, Pastor, what can I do for the church? Not what can the church do for me. See, the secular consumer culture has invaded the church, and now the church is chasing consumers instead of trying to be led by the Spirit and minister to hungry people. So understand, I go to church today to be the church, not just to attend church. The second reason I go to church, I regularly gather with the church, because the church gives the world a front row seat to the grace of God. <laughs> How many times have you heard people say this? I'm not going down there. Them bunch of hypocrites down there. Or I'm not going to that church. That last pastor did this. Or I'm not going to that church because they said this. Or I'm not going to that church because a person who's on that board did this. See, I go to church 
Because the church gives the world a front row seat to the grace of God. Jesus started the church, built the church, spread the good news of Jesus all over the world through the church. And the church is nothing more than a bunch of broken, redeemed people. Jesus did it that way to showcase His marvelous grace. The idea that God could use me and use you is quite remarkable. You know, He had other options, but He chose to use us. And here's something to remember. Community is messy. You get a few people together and you're going to have drama. Somebody's going to be upset. Somebody's going to be mad. Somebody's going to mess up. Somebody's going to sin. Somebody's going to do wrong. Community is messy. People sin. The New Testament is not a story of an idealized church where everything worked perfectly all the time. If you think that's the truth, just read 1 Corinthians. Man, they were suing one another. They were mad at one another. They were sleeping with their stepmamas. They were a messed up bunch of people. But God still used them to touch that whole region for Christ. Most of the New Testament is a story of Jesus using His followers to spread His love in spite of themselves. The Bible says he used the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Here's what I've learned. The fact that Christ uses flawed people to accomplish his work on earth is actually a sign of his grace, not a sign of his absence. Wow, when go down there, they got people down there that's done that. Well, you know what that is? That's a sign of his grace, not a sign of his absence. Stop sitting in judgment and wanting everybody to be perfect and using that as an excuse, if they're not, for you not to go to church. It's a sign of His grace, not a sign of His absence. The church gives the world a front row seat to the grace of God. I show up to show off His redemptive work in my life and see what redeeming thing He is doing in your life this week. That's why I show up. I'm not showing up looking for perfect people. I'm showing up to see people who God's working in. And if you show up looking for perfect people, you need you won't be in church because there's not a perfect one anywhere. So I go to church. I go to church, and I regularly go to get a front row seat to the grace of God. And here's one that we don't like. Number three, I regularly gather with the church Because it's a command of God. I know we Americans don't like people to tell us what to do. But Jesus said to go to church. Hebrews 10.25. It says, And let us not neglect our meeting together. As some people do. But encourage one another. So that's what I'm doing. I'm encouraging. I'm not fussing at you. You know I'm not fussing. I'm trying to encourage you. Especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. How many believe the coming of the Lord's getting closer? Well, now's the time to be in church, not the time to forsake church. And here's one. Here's, here's something I had to come to realization. Because I, I went to Bible college. I graduated with a bachelor's degree in Bible. I graduated. I went to seminary. I, I, master's and all that stuff. I got all that. I read hundreds of books. Just signed a, a publishing contract with Harrison House for my book. People are going to be using my book as a resource. And I get to thinking, well, why I don't need nothing else. My flesh says, well, I don't, I don't need to learn no more. I've, I've, got this, I've got this stuff down. Why do I need to go to church? Well, you know Jesus went to church. 
Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about Him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught when? Regularly. Everybody say regularly. He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. Verse 16. When He came to the village of Nazareth, His boyhood home, He went as what? Usual. It was a pattern. It was a habit to go to church. He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the Scriptures. Now listen, if anybody could get a pass from church, it ought to be Jesus. He's sinless. He don't have to do anything. Hear a message on overcoming sin. He never sinned. He's the fullness of God manifest. So he didn't need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was full of grace and truth. He didn't have to grow grow in love and forgiveness. He was love. He didn't need peace of mind. He was peace. If anybody didn't need church, Jesus didn't have to go to church, but he went all the time. And if he goes, duh, some of us need to go. Then the apostles went. Luke chapter 24, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Jesus talking to apostles. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Verse 50, when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, Jesus left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed, when? Continually at the temple. Praising God. The apostles always went to church. And finally, the fourth thing, I regularly gather with the church. I, I come to worship gatherings with other Christians because I enjoy being with Jesus. Matthew eighteen twenty very simply says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. I love my private devotions. I love my prayer time. I love my prayer closet. I love coming in here. I got a rocking chair in that closet. And I'll get in that rocking chair and I'll stay, sit right there and sit for hours, hour or two, continually during the week. And I can experience the presence of the Lord. And he shows me things in His Word and I love it. It's great. I've had some wonderful moments personally with the Lord. But nothing compares to getting with other Christians and begin to praise and worship. And the presence of God comes into the room. There's some days I don't like you, but I like being with the Jesus who lives in you. So that's why I regularly go to worship. 